name's Mark, if we haven't met. I'm on the Trinity Bay staff team part-time while I study at Bible College. And my main role is looking after the evening service, which runs at 6 p.m. just in the, the community hall behind us here. One of my favorite places to grab a schnitzel and a drink is the Earl of Leicester in Parkside. Some of you might have been there before. I can hear a few approving nods out there. Uh, now, it re- it's rebranded, I think, in the last few years, but it used to have a, a front bar called the Liars Bar right out the front. And the Liars Bar menus had, the front cover of it was basically covered with the faces of a whole lot of different celebrities who had lied in some way and who had been caught. So Bill Clinton, Lance Armstrong, Shane Warne, Tiger Woods, all got on there. Now, it was all in good humour, but it makes a subtle point that despite the achievements of these people on the sporting field, the big screen, the political world, wherever else, what we remember about them is their mishandling of the truth. Truth is something that we value. It's at the heart of science, justice, human relationships, and everything in between. It brings closure, it gives insights, it helps us make informed decisions. Truth is important. And there's a big emphasis on truth in the passage that we've just read, and what it means to walk in the truth as God's people. So keep your Bibles open to 2 John, and we start off looking at verse 1, where it says that this letter is being written by the elder and being addressed to the lady and to her children. Now, the elder here is most likely John, who's, who was one of Jesus' disciples and also the author of the Gospel of John. And he also wrote the book of 1 John, which Colin preached on last week, for those who were here, and 3 John, which Peter Blythe is going to be preaching on next week. And the lady and her children here is probably a way of referring to a church and to the members of that church who John's writing to. Now, truth was important to John. Now, there's a a big focus on truth in each of his three letters that appear in the Bible, so you'll probably notice a bit bit of correlation between the three sermons. And in John's Gospel, which, which was his written account of Jesus' life and death, he recalls Jesus telling his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John's Gospel was written so that people would believe in Jesus and have eternal life. And as we saw last week, uh, the book of 1 John is written with a very similar purpose in, in the last verse. It says it's written so that you may know that you have eternal life. So the truth of who Jesus is can't be ignored in John's writings. It's the reason that he wrote about the things that he witnessed. A life-changing truth unfolded before John's very eyes as he saw Jesus perform miracles, saw Jesus explain his identity as the Son of God, saw Jesus die and then saw Jesus raised to life again. And so when we come to this letter here, there's no other explanation of what this truth is that John is referring to. It's Jesus' death, his resurrection, and the true life that comes only through believing in him. This is the truth that is driving John as he writes this letter. And it's this truth, this gospel message, 
that drives us as God's people today. Walking in this truth means living a life that is centered around Jesus and shaped by the truth about him. To be guided by Jesus' teaching and motivated by his incredible love. John is challenging his readers not just to acknowledge this truth, but to build their lives on it. And he's delighted to see that there are people doing this. Verse 4, he says, It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth. So we assume that John's had a fair bit to do with this church in the past. He's then left and gone and done some other stuff. And then a a few years later, he runs into some people from this church. And he sees that they're still going strong in the faith. And it brings him great joy. Uh, Those of you who were here last week may have known that um, John and Gita Warner were here last week visiting. So John was the senior pastor who started Trinity Bay back in 2006 stepped down from that role at the start of this year after 11 years and I think it was the, the first time they've been back since then visiting last week and I think there was a, there's a sense of that here. I think John would have been very encouraged coming back and seeing six months later all these people that he, he ministered to and loved and cared for over the years, still getting up early on a Sunday, still coming to church, still singing their praises to God. I think that would have been a very, very similar picture for, that, for him. Now, the truth about Jesus is something that we need to constantly remind ourselves of because as awesome as the gospel is, it's something that can become quite familiar to us. I don't know what your your dream job is. It's one of those questions that's kind of like an, an icebreaker question that you get in maybe the first Bible study group of the year or something, one of those questions everyone goes around and asks what their dream job is. I reckon I met someone with the dream job a couple of weeks ago. It was a a friend's sister of mine who's just moved to Adelaide from New Zealand and the job she's taken up in Adelaide is as a, I think it's a quality control officer, a quality assurance officer at Hague's Chocolates. <laughs> so not to, not to oversimplify her job, but her job is pretty much to eat Hague's Chocolates all day and make sure they taste all right, which in my experience they generally do. So, you know, I imagine having a job like that, you just wake up every morning full of life, you're like, you're going off to work like Charlie with his golden ticket, walking into Wonka land and eating chocolate all day. I reckon the thrill would disappear a bit after a while though. Like I reckon, yeah, the first month would be great, eating chocolate, how good is life, how good is work, but I just reckon after that you'd get sick of it. I mean, that might just be what I'm telling myself to (laughs) stop myself feeling jealous, but I just think eating chocolate all day the thrill would disappear. I think it can be similar in a way with the good news about Jesus. You know, you might have had times where you've you've heard a great sermon, it's really energized you, you've come away really on fire for God, really thrilled about what God is doing. Uh, At our evening service last week, we had um, Grace and Jen, who some of you will know, up the front talking about uh, the mid-year conference that they'd been on the week before and just saying how much they got out of that and and they were really buzzing about the things that they'd learnt on that. But then there'll be other times where you know Jesus died for you, you know he was resurrected, but the busyness of life, distractions, um, things that happen in life, can drag your focus away a bit. 
and the gospel doesn't excite you in the same way. And so we need to keep the gospel on our radar, keep reminding ourselves of this truth, keep preaching the gospel to ourselves. Now, everyone's different, I realize, but something I've found quite helpful in doing that is going for quality over quantity in my Bible reading. I've done those, those Bible reading plans you get where you read four passages a day and you end up going through the whole Bible in a year, which, I mean, that's not a bad thing. But I've, I've found, for me personally, when I do something like that, I just end up racing through each, each passage. You know, I've got to catch the bus to work in 10 minutes or something. How quickly can I read this? I find I can, I can really rush through and not really take in everything. Um, so a really good piece of advice that I heard is to spend as much time reflecting on the passage that you're reading as you do reading it. Whenever I do that, I get more out of 10 verses than I would rushing through 10 chapters. The more that we're reflecting on what we're reading in the Bible, the more we'll be fueled to walk in the truth. In verse 5, Seeing that people in the church are walking in the truth, John asks that we love one another. So loving in the truth. Now he's writing to a community of Christian people here. And so this love for one another here is a specific instruction for Christian communities, Christian relationships. There are parts in the Bible where Christians are called to love those outside the church as well. Um, But this particular passage is focusing on those relationships that are within the church. But this is what a church community should look like, John's saying. It should be characterized by love for one another. This love should be a natural outcome of walking in the truth, because it's what Jesus taught. In John's gospel, Jesus told his disciples this, and you've got it printed on your outlines in front of you, from John chapter 13. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So as as John is saying, this command isn't a new command. It's one that's been given to them right from the beginning. Right from the start, love for one another was central to Christian teaching. Love that has its foundation in the the person and the work of Jesus. It's a response to Jesus' great love for us. Now this love, it, it isn't an emotion that passes with time. It's a decision that we make. It's unselfish service taken on by deliberate choice. And it's been modeled to us completely in the love that God has shown to us. His grace and mercy in sending Jesus to die in our place. The peace and assurance that comes from knowing, as Colin talked about last week from 1 John, that through faith in Jesus, we don't have to live in fear of being punished for the things that we've done wrong against God. Jesus laid down his life so that we could come into a right relationship with God so that we could be forgiven for the things that we've done wrong. So that we can be assured of living forever with God. If you're here this morning just checking out what church is all about, well, this is the truth that drives us 
as Christians. That Jesus' death and resurrection makes all the difference. It makes a right relationship with God possible. And if we understand that truth, it will drive us to love one another. That's the vision that God has for church. Jesus provides the the ultimate example of what it means to walk in love. And so the question that, that we all need to be asking ourselves in response to this is whether we're walking in love in our relationships. Are my relationships with those around me coming from a desire to encourage them and to to spur them on to be more like Jesus? Do we share John's great joy in seeing our brothers and sisters walking in the truth and moving in the right direction in their relationship with God? I know that for me, there are, there are lots of distractions that can get in the way of that happening. You know, often I want to impress people, to, to make them laugh, to get something from them, just to enjoy being around them. And that can stop me from helping them move forwards in their love for God. So we need to have our priorities right in our relationships. God's love for us should drive us to, to love and care for people at church, even those that we don't find it particularly easy to get along with. And it should drive us to be intentional in our friendships. If you think of your your closest Christian friends that you have, a good question to ask is, how am I using this relationship to to love them and to, to spur them on in their faith? The love that John calls for is a selfless, sacrificial attitude toward each other, guided by God's selfless, sacrificial attitude towards us. The truth that God has revealed through Jesus and the love that we're commanded to show to each other, they're inseparable, these things. And from what I've seen, having been at Trinity Bay for, I was calculating, it's exactly six months that um, Alicia and I have been at Trinity Bay now, and from what we've seen, it's a very loving church community. Uh, We've both felt very loved since moving here, and, and we've seen how the truth about Jesus has really driven people here to love each other. Uh, both at our morning and evening service, we've seen people being cared for when they've been going through a, a difficult time. Uh, we've seen people encouraging each other, and we've seen people serving faithfully their brothers and sisters here. Just as one example of many of that, I'm, I'm very thankful for everyone who is on the, the Bay Evenings dinner roster. We have a dinner at Trinity Bay Evenings every week, and there's a number of people who regularly help out by preparing dinner for that. Um, there's people from the morning and evening service that do that. And I'm, I'm very thankful for that. It's a great service to our young adults. It really helps us build our community in that service. I could talk about all the, the people that help out with our kids' programs here each week, uh, the people that give up their Friday nights to, to run the youth group program, the musicians and set-up people that are here bright and early in the morning and people that serve in all sorts of different ways. This isn't a perfect church, but it's a family that's walking in love together. So wouldn't it be great to to keep raising the bar with how we're loving each other as a church? Now, I don't mean bring twice as much food for morning tea and talk to twice as many people and all that sort of thing. 
But if we're meeting together with a desire to love each other as Jesus loves us and to point each other to the great truths of the gospel, then we're certainly walking in the right direction as a church family. Many of you will know Lauren Hull. She comes to our, our evening gathering. Lauren works for evangelical students at Flinders Uni as a staff worker there, and she catches up with about 20 girls each fortnight or so, which is a lot to have on your mind, I think. And um, she was, I was asking what she needed prayer for, and she said her big prayer point for that was that she would be all that she needed to be, all that those girls needed her to be. I thought that was, that was a really great prayer. Like She wasn't asking for her to be everything that they need because ultimately all they need is Jesus and what he's done for them. Um, but she still recognized that she had a responsibility to faithfully point them to the truth of Jesus and how that plays out in their lives. I thought I came away thinking that was a really great prayer for all of us to be praying for each other, that we'd be all that our brothers and sisters at church need us to be. certainly been a prayer that I've been trying to pray more. So why is John making this appeal to to walk in truth and love? Well, in verse 7, he says, says this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Denying that Jesus came in the flesh is denying that Jesus is both God and man. And to deny it really undermines the whole Christian faith. So even this early in the history of the church, there were false teachers who were leading people away from the truth about Jesus. It certainly seems to have been a hot issue in John's time. All three of his letters in the Bible that we're reading over these three weeks have some sort of reference to false teaching. So clearly, he saw false teaching as being a huge danger to the faith of the people he's writing to. It's why he pleads with them to hold fast to the truth, to continue in the teaching of Christ, verse 9. They must be careful of anyone who's bringing a message that isn't guided by Jesus' teaching and that isn't rooted in the promise of forgiveness and eternal life that comes through Jesus alone. And it's the same for us today. There are lots of churches in Adelaide that don't preach the truth about Jesus on a Sunday. We're called to be careful of false teaching and to stand in opposition to it. The truth about Jesus has far too much writing on it for false teaching to be shown any sort of approval whatsoever. That's why John told his readers to not offer any assistance or hospitality to the false teachers. Verse 10. We're to to distance ourselves from any teaching that offers us true hope apart from faith in Jesus. So how do we guard against false teaching? How do we recognize it? Well, the best way, as John is saying, is to be familiar with the truth and to encourage each other in that truth. Growing constantly in our understanding of the truth through regularly reading the Bible and wrestling with what it means will give us confidence to embrace what is true and reject what isn't. 
and by reminding and encouraging each other about these truths, we'll help each other to walk in the truth. People who love each other like this won't be easily deceived by false messages. That's why here at Trinity Bay, we're encouraged to keep our Bibles open while someone's up here preaching a sermon. Um, Because if me or anyone else is up here saying things that don't line up with what's in the Bible, then there need to be alarm bells ringing for all of us. Knowing this truth helps us to guard against all sorts of deceptions. Now, false teaching was clearly the, the big danger for John's readers in this day, and it's an issue for us today as well. But there are lots of things in life that can gently pull us away from the truth about Jesus. There's a number of people that I once went to church with or led Bible study groups with who have fallen away from the faith in the last few years. People that had an understanding of the truth of the gospel, but for whatever reason, they didn't continue walking in it. And as I reflect on each of them, I wonder if the thing that caused them to be led astray was that they stopped listening to God's truth and they started listening to other things. They were deceived by other things. One of them was a guy who really welcomed me when I, when I first started going to church. I don't mean he just shook my hand at the door and said hello. He followed me up. He got to know me. He introduced me to some other guys. He caught up with me outside of church and looked out for me for the following weeks. Um, he was a guy that I really looked up to. Well, a few years later, things unraveled really quickly with him. Um, it turned out that he'd been depressed and that he'd been struggling with same-sex attraction for quite a long period. And within a few months, he'd left church, he'd embraced a homosexual lifestyle, and he'd more or less cut ties with ev- all of his Christian friends. Another one was a housemate of mine who was in the army. And he was really struggling with the the big cultural differences between church and the army, which you can imagine they're they're two quite different cultures. And he got to the point where he felt like he couldn't be a Christian and be in the army. And so he chose the army. There's another guy who I led with in a young adults ministry for a number of years. Very diligent, servant-hearted guy. And he went through the the horrific experience of watching a close family member die suddenly in front of him. And over the the following months, his church attendance gradually dropped off. And after a year, he sent out a message to a few of his close friends, basically announcing that he wasn't a Christian anymore. Now, I don't know exactly what it was that caused these guys to turn away from the truth. I think, though, that For each of them, God's truth was no longer the lens that they were using to to view the things that were happening in their lives, which left them open to being deceived by other things. Deceived into thinking that the lifestyle and identity that they wanted was better than a relationship with God. Deceived into thinking that their experiences were incompatible with a God who loved them. Now, I don't think that what happened was anyone's fault. 
and I don't mean any disrespect to the guys involved because I know that they all had a very difficult situation that they were in. All I can say, though, is that having seen that happen, I'd do anything to stop it from happening to myself or to anyone else. For everyone here this morning, it, it will give me great joy in, in 5, 10, 50 years' time to find all of you walking in the truth still. I'm sure that you feel the same about the people in the seats around you. Your relationship with God is valuable. Guard it carefully. Alicia and I don't have any children. I think um, every time I'm on, I'm on an aeroplane and there's a baby sitting in the row behind me, I kind of mentally put it off two years in my mind. Um, <laughs> no offense to any young parents out there. Um, but something that I'll, every parent I hear uh, that I meet tells me is that the thing about young children is that you really have to keep an eye on them all the time. You really can't take your eye off them. And I remember a time, this would have been about 12 or 13 years ago, we had a, a family outing at Glenelg and my aunt and my cousin, who would have been about two years old at the time, were there. And we were walking around and we realized that we'd, my aunt had taken her eye off her daughter for about 30 seconds and we're frantically looking around. In that time, the, the little two-year-old has managed to waddle about 20 or 30 meters off towards the tram line, walked up to the tram line, got to within about a meter of the tram line before a tram has just rushed past and my aunt's just turned around and seen it about a, a second before the tram's gone past. You can imagine how she felt about that. So children need to be guarded. And in the same way, we have to guard our faith carefully. And that means building our lives on God's truth and living it out together in community. It's a big part of the reason that we have growth groups running here at Trinity Bay, as well as youth groups and kids programs and all that sort of thing. It's so that we can meet together in an environment of love and trust, read God's word together, work out what it means together, encourage each other, and pray for each other. If you're not in one at the moment and you'd like to get involved in one, then please just fill out one of the contact cards that you've got and pop it in the red box at the back and we'll, we'll make that happen. Living life together in a loving church family, constantly supporting each other as we seek to, to walk in God's truth together, is a great protection from all of the deceptions that are out there. If our relationships as a church family are fueled by gratefulness for the love that God has shown for us and a desire to see each other growing in that faith, then that's going to be a huge blessing for all of us. How about I pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book of 2 John and for the, the great message in there, the message of encouragement and truth that still rings just as true today as it did back then. Uh, we pray that you'd help us to be a community that, that really embodies that together, uh, that we'd all be greatly encouraged and spurred on by the love that you have shown us through Jesus and the great joy and assurance of knowing that we have a right relationship with God through him. We pray that that, would, that truth would really drive us to love and care for each other and to encourage each other in that truth, to really be spurring each other on to, to take steps forward in our walk with God each day.
Uh, we pray for these guys that I've talked about just now and for other people we, we know who have walked away from that truth or perhaps have never known that truth, that you might be revealing that to them and that as a church family we might be just a living light of your truth, that we might be shining it to ourselves and to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.